Good morning. Good to see all your faces today. I just was thinking as I was sitting here before, as you guys were trickling in, it's such a blessing to be at Grace Church. I hope you feel that way. Um, For my family, when God brought us over here a few years ago, uh, we were looking for community and a church body that really would embrace our family. Um, And that's really what we've gotten here. So as we as we think about Advent and Christmas and all the things that are going on, uh, I just want to share that, that that's been a blessing that God's provided. Uh, we've got to hang out and spend time with so many of your families uh, over meals, uh, some of you as just individuals where we've gotten together. And uh, over the past few years, that, that really is something that can't be understated, how much we appreciate that. Um, even for my wife who's serving today in kids' ministry, just finding friends, uh, other mothers that she can share motherly things with and text during the week. Uh, it's such a blessing. It's crazy to think that we're in the second week of Advent. Let that sink in for a moment. It's December, and we're in the second week of Advent. Some of you, you're ready for Christmas season. Some of us have been so busy that we just put up our Christmas tree, remembering that, hey, for the kids, they might enjoy seeing a Christmas tree in their house. And so we just knocked that out. Uh, but as you heard today, the, the theme of our second week of Advent is peace. And in that busyness, when, when Pastor Art shared the schedule for me, I saw that I was up for week number two and that I had the topic of peace. And I just ran with what I assumed he was thinking. And so if you look at the, the midweek sermon blurb, it may say something more in line with God giving us this comfort of peace in him um, and, and us unpacking that. But this isn't the peace that Art had in mind. And so after we talked and, and I kind of caught up with him, I realized, oh, okay, I need to go a different direction. And so this morning, you may be hearing the word peace, and you may be thinking that we're talking about a tranquil feeling. Or something like your mind being at rest with God. That's not the peace we're going to talk about today. See, the kind of peace that we're going to talk about is when two parties are at extreme odds. When two parties have been divided by something, it causes a conflict. Many of us have heard stories of battles in human history. There's popular ones like the Battle of Thermopylae with the movie 300 and the Spartans versus the Persians. There's ones that are more close to home, like the Revolutionary War, where you had the siege of Yorktown in 1781, which was the last major battle of the war before America was founded and got their freedom. Or maybe even something uh, more recent with the Battle of Normandy for World War II, a turning tide. And we've seen these conflicts, even the one that's currently going on in the Middle East. And we prayed and, and seen the, the atrocities of war. See, human, human history is full of unrest and, and ugly conflicts resolving around the ideas of conquering, defending against tyranny, abuse of power, injustices, tribalism, and fear. Some of us actually in this room could share stories of our experiences of war. Some of us in this room could share stories of what it's like when things aren't at peace. Some of those stories would give most people nightmares. Some of those stories would cause you to live with unrest. 
See, peace is not present in times of war. Peace isn't present in times of battles. Peace isn't present when there's division. This is the kind of peace that we're going to talk about today in this sermon. We have to understand that as Christians, we understand that all these human conflicts, these battles, these wars that were waged over human history, and and you can Google and there says there's upwards of more than 10,000 throughout human history. They all found, they're, they're all founded or rooted in one source. And it's the very first conflict or the very first battle. Some of you already know where we're going, but in, in Genesis, you see this. In 131, God creates all things and he calls it very good. In God's creation, there was peace. In God's creation, it was very good. He gives us, he gives Adam purpose and instruction in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 in Genesis. And he tells him this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, we all know the end of that story. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And this caused the consequence. The battle is now waged war between God and man. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Humanity made a choice to rebel against its creator. No longer will we submit ourselves to God's authority, but we are our own gods. That was our battle cry. James 4 tells us this. If you're having a, a, a struggle understanding the idea that we're at odds, that we're battling God, James 4, 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So this makes it clear that if we walk in the ways of the world or the ways of the flesh, we are enemies of God. There is a battle happening. How many of you this morning can identify which side of the battle you want to be on? See, but we choose to fight God. We choose to be at odds with God. Think of a story I have an older sister, which some of you have met maybe, and some of you haven't. Most of you haven't. And growing up, she's four years older than me. I was not always this big, masculine, burly man that you see today. Uh, it's a joke. I know what you're looking at. Uh, I'm a dad now. Okay. Um, but my sister used to pick on me, like sibling pick on, right? It wasn't weird. It wasn't abusive. It's just like she's always kind of like pinch and poke and hit and just prod. And it would always bother me, and I'd get upset, and I'd cry, and I'd go to mom, dad. She won't leave me alone, and they'd separate and all that stuff, right? But there came a day. (laughs) You know what's happening. Where she hit me, and I just so over it, I grabbed her. 
and I started fleeing her from side to side. I wasn't, let, I wasn't throwing her. I was holding her in my arms, but literally just side, just boom, boom, not hitting the ground, but just showing her. And no longer was she the big sister who could poke a pride. I had puberty. And that changed the game. Biology was on my side. And so no longer was I going to get picked on by my big sister and bothered from that day on. She never touched me again. And don't worry, my mom was there. She was laughing the whole time. It wasn't weird. It was just me asserting my, my male dominance. <laughs> How much greater, though, is the gap between God and man that we choose to live as enemies to an all-powerful God? It's silly, this story of my sister and I, this sibling thing that we're figuring out. But we're God's creation, and we told God, we want nothing to do with you. We've taken his creation and tried to morph it into something that fits our idea of what it should be so that it could serve us. The problem is that humanity has picked a battle it cannot win. And make that clear as we get into the topic this morning, the battle of sin that's divided God and man, you and I can't overcome. We have no power there. And the very curse that we talked about, that, that death enters with sin, the curse of that, we're enslaved to that, and we'll see that. But we have no victory there. Our sin against God has separated us from Him and disqualified us to be holy in His righteous presence. Just think about this idea of a righteous God and we always think, I think when we think about the Genesis story, when he removes himself from their presence, we always think that maybe, or maybe I always think, and I'm assuming, I'm generalizing, but we, we see God as maybe uh, like, hey, that's kind of rude that you created us and then you left us. But don't miss that in his leaving us, in his leaving Adam and Eve, the very presence that he held with them, it was actually mercy. We all know that the presence of God with somebody who's living unholy what happens in the Old Testament? They die. So it was merciful for God to remove them from the garden. It was merciful of God to remove them from his presence. He had a plan. But man and God at this point were not at peace. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. A mindset in the flesh, it cannot submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When I say we can't cross the bridge of the divide that we cause due to sin, I mean we cannot cross it. In our flesh, in our sin, we have no ability to reach God. We are not righteous. So not only is the flesh enemies with God, but our flesh is hostile to God. As you think about your relationship with God and, and maybe the time when you received the gospel, did it ever occur to you that you were God's enemy? Not just that you were a sinner needing God's grace and mercy, but that you were actually his enemy when he died for you. You were actually his enemy who he's rescuing. That your actions were hostile to God. 
that our sinful actions now as believers can be hostile to God. Can tear away the very good that he intended. It's important for us, it's critically important for us to understand this morning that sin separates us from God and that peace was broken. It was broken. This leads us into our Advent passage this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14, 15, 17, and 18. give you a second to turn there. We're going to start at verse 14. It says this, Since therefore the children share in in flesh and blood, he himself, he being Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The children here has already kind of been explained in, in, the, in the writing of Hebrews in the passage uh, just prior to this. But the children are people here who believe in the gospel, who've received the gospel. And just like we have a physical body, we have this physical experience, Jesus was made to be like us in flesh. Now it's important to know, this does not mean that Jesus stopped being God. Jesus coming in the flesh did not mean that he took his deity and threw it to the side, cast it off of him. He was fully God and fully man. We know that from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, though he was in the, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It's important because Jesus could not just be merely a man. The theological implications of thinking that Jesus took his deity, threw it to the side, became a man that was solely just a man, we run into issues. We run into issues like Romans 3.23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If he came as merely just a man, he would enter into the same problem that we all have. That we have all sinned. It's in the the seed of Adam. We're born into sin. We're born into this fleshly existence. Jesus did not come merely a man looking to rescue us. Uh, I don't care what other religions or people think. He's not just a prophet. He was fully God fully man, and he came with a plan. Humanity needed God because we, again, fell short of God's requirements, and we couldn't bridge that gap. We needed Jesus to not just be man. We needed Jesus to be God. God knew that. So in Hebrews, the author makes it clear that Jesus came in the flesh to experience, to share the experience of his children to defeat the one who directed sin's entrance into creation. That's the devil. The battle between God and Satan is not really the focus here, but there's another battle going on. But 
What gets missed sometimes is in the gospel, we think of the purpose of Jesus solely being for us. But God's plan here with his son not only is redeeming, bridging the divide, reconciling the relationship between man and God, but he's doing so in a way where he's going to defeat Satan. Amen? See, Satan has a grip on humanity. He's the tempter, the liar. And it's important to know to notice here that it sounds like what the, the author of Hebrews is saying is that the devil controls death. Okay? If you look at that verse again, 2.14, and you see that he might destroy the one who has power, has the power of death, that is the devil. If you just read that, you think that, oh, the devil has the power of death. Theological point number two, no, he does not. Okay? It's important to understand that God and the devil aren't yin and yang. They're not uh, counterparts. They're nothing like that. God created the devil. God's more powerful than Satan. God is over Satan. God is not worried about Satan and his power to overcome him. God cast him out, and God has a plan for him. God and the devil are not God's counterpart. This is not some kind of good and evil dichotomy here. He does not control death. We know that. The devil's power only comes from his ability to persuade us, to tempt us. We see it in the garden. We see it with Jesus as he's fasting. He is the great tempter. He persuades. He wants to devour us and lead us into sin, lead us away from God. The reality is that death is a consequence, a direct consequence that God laid out because of sin. It was not handed out by Satan. And recall, again, just for theological strength here, recall the story of Job. Why does the devil need to approach God if he has the power of death? Do not give the devil credit where he does not have power. He is very real. And he does want to tempt you and persuade you away from God. But this passage does not mean he has the power of death, the authority of death. Let's look at verse 15. This is again talking about Jesus and his purpose to come in the flesh. The baby boy that was born that we're celebrating this Advent. It says, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So not only did Jesus come in the flesh to defeat the devil, but he came to deliver us from the enslavement of death. Now you might be thinking, what does that mean? I don't feel a slave to death. Those words sound strange. So let's help you understand them. Humanity since the fall has been enslaved to death. Whether you know it or not, I'm going to help you know it. Okay? (laughs) I know we don't use this kind of language or imagery in our normal conversations, but what it means is simply a condensed version of the famous quote by Benjamin Franklin. In this life, nothing is certain except for what? Boom. The biblical version of that is, what we're seeing here is in this life, nothing is certain except for death. Let that sink in for a moment. 
Because it doesn't feel good to talk about death. It's uncomfortable to talk about death. It's uncomfortable to think about death. But in this life, because of our sin, because we chose to be enemies of God, and our flesh has caused us to be fallen away from God's righteousness and life that lives eternal, we are slaves to the reality that death comes for us all. Some of us, that reality hits different this time of year because we think about all the death that we've experienced. As a young kid, I grew up with family that was far away. I didn't get to see my family often, my extended family. I just got to be around my immediate family, the people that were in my household. And so what happens when you have a small circle of people that you're really surrounded by, you don't get to experience a lot of life. What I mean by that is life is greater than the five or six, seven people that are around you all the time. And what happens is as you start to, to, to reach out and, and develop relationships with all kinds of people, you start to realize what other people are going through. And death was one of those things that I didn't really have to deal with growing up. Nobody close to me had passed away. My, grandma, my grandparents that I knew were alive. I didn't have to experience loss, life going away. Not only until I was a, a young man, I think freshman year of college, my, my grandfather passed. And that was the first time that death hit home in a personal way. I'd had some friends pass away and that hit home, but this was different. This impacted Thanksgivings and Christmas and travels and seeing my mom break down and cry in the middle of the day. No, well, what seemed to be no reason, if you didn't know. Death is the reality that humanity has to face. So whether you think you're a slave to it or not, the passage is telling us that in our flesh we are slaves to death because in our sin, it consumes us. That's our end. How many of you guys think this morning that you're in your flesh going to live forever? No, you've accepted it. Thank you. You've accepted that one day this flesh will fail you. That is what it means to be enslaved by death. And Jesus came to deliver us from that. <clears throat> Look back at verse number nine. It's not in this passage, but it says this. Hebrews 2, 9. So that by the grace of God, he, being Jesus, might taste death for everyone. As you think about the son this morning being born, and we think about in this text Jesus being manifested in flesh, fully God, fully man, he's subjecting himself to the human condition. Not only can he relate with us by being flesh and blood, but our God is going to experience death. Think about that. Some of us, those, those thoughts that hit you in the middle of the night about the what ifs, a lot of them surround them, a lot of them are surrounded by the idea of death. What about my spouse? What if something were to happen to them? What about my mom? What about my, my siblings? What about my kids? The fear of death is very real. And any parents here, if you were to say, 
that you could keep your kid from any harm, what would you do? Absolutely. You don't want your kid to experience that. God sent his son. And he's going to taste death for everyone. Amen? Let me say it again. Christ who had no sin. Let's make this clear. No sin. Knows he's the perfect lamb. Subjected himself. He wasn't forced. Didn't have to. We didn't tell him to do it. But he subjected himself to death on our behalf so that we could be free from death's grip, giving us hope for eternity. Praise God. Because we who were once enslaved by sin now have hope. Now have hope that even though this fleshly body will fail us, we have hope to live forever with God for eternity. Amen. Move down to verse 17 and 18. I didn't skip 16 because it was hard. It just didn't really relate to what we're saying. He's more talking about the audience that he was writing to, uh, just making a point there so you can read it if you want. Um, But I wanted to get to the meat of the passage this morning. And 17 and 18 say this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If we look at verse 17, we're again reminded that Christ became like a man in every regard. Additionally, we have this idea start to start to introduce itself into Hebrews. And it's not one that stays here and doesn't come back. It's a it's a theme in the book of Hebrews. But Jesus being associated with the idea of being a high priest, a good, merciful, and faithful high priest. Now, for you and I, we may just read over that and think we understand it, but truly not get the picture that the author's painting. Truly not get the connection that God is laying out for how we should see his son. See, remember that this book, Hebrews, was originally written to a largely Jewish group of believers Okay, And they would have understood this text, this comparison, this association, uh, this connection that the author is making a lot better than us. So we need a little help. See, the Jewish high priest, and I don't want to spend too time here, but in, in very simple terms, served as a spiritual mediator between God and God's people. The high priest was responsible for leading the, the people and in, in upholding the covenant fulfilling the temple duties, fulfilling the sacrifices. And this included the yearly sacrifice of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when one high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. See, all this was a shadow of what was to come. So this idea of a high priest was a shadow of the true high priest which is Jesus. At the tail end of of 17, we see that Jesus is called the propitiation for the sins of the people. Now this word we find in the Old Testament when we look at the sacrifices that were done for the Day of Atonement. 
And what's, it, what's cool to note here is in Hebrews, it's used as a noun, not as a verb. It's not, it's not used as a way to say God's covering us, because if I ask a majority of you have been in church and you've heard this word, you don't use it often, but you're familiar enough with it to be dangerous, right? You might just simplify it to just mean that God's propitiation is God's covering of our sins. And while you're not too far off, so I don't want to get negative on you, it's much greater than simple covering. See, propitiation was often uh, talked about with this idea of the Day of Atonement because an ox would be killed and the blood would be sprinkled and the holies of holies on the mercy seat by the high priest. And that mercy seat represented God's mercy with the blood blood covering, the blood uh, being the propitiation, but also God's righteousness. And so if the man wasn't righteous... He could die in the presence of the mercy seat. Pastor reminded me this morning as we talked about, they tied a rope and even a bell to the high priest that would would get the, the lot to go in. Because it's likely that that man could die in the presence of God. Again, remember, it was his mercy that removed himself from Adam and Eve's presence. Sometimes we make God this, like, you know, human kind of idea. And we got to be careful. God, creator, is much more magnificent, much more holy, much more righteous, much more uh, full of glory and power than we could ever understand. So even being in the presence of his essence... And the Holy of Holies would cause a man to die. If not for the blood that covered the mercy seat. Jesus is called the propitiation as a noun because he is the covering. His blood is the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. Amen. His blood is the reason that God can see us and have mercy. That we can enter into his presence because we're covered By Jesus' blood. Such a powerful thing to think about. That God allows us to be in his presence because of his son's sacrifice. God made his son in flesh to be like us, to experience this life, to relate to us, even to take on death for us. Easton's Bible Dictionary says this about propitiation. I thought it was uh, kind of a cool way to sum it up. But by his being Jesus, becoming our substitute and assuming our obligations, he expiated our guilt, covering it by the vicarious punishment which he endured. So now instead of this yearly sacrifice, this yearly atonement that had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat, as our high priest, Jesus perfectly mediates the relationship between God and man. He perfectly is the perfect lamb whose blood is done once and for all. Amen? Jesus made peace between God and man. 
Jesus' blood makes peace between God and man, humanity who's at war with God. Even to this day, Jesus made peace. Jesus reconciled what was broken. The victory is won. Amen. Romans 5, 1, 2. I just want to go over there. You can read chapter 5 on your own, but just want to say in 512, it sums this, great, this up greatly. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice and hope of the glory of God. As believers, that's what we get to stand and celebrate. That's what we get to rejoice and, and be mindful of this morning, that God's, that God's Son, His blood covers. We can rejoice that we're atoned for, and we're at peace with God. And I don't know about you, when we were talking about picking sides of a battle, that's the side I want to be on. I want to be at peace with the Lord. I don't want to be at odds with the Lord. I know what that's like, and it's not pleasant. Jesus made peace between God and man. Verse 18 encourages, encourages us again, not only that Jesus was reconciled or has reconciled God and man, but that he understands what it means to be human. And then this offers help so that we can walk in the spirit, walk in that newness and navigate the traps of the flesh. Jesus understands what it means to be human. Jesus understands temptation but offers us peace with a God through our faith in Him. We do not serve a God who doesn't know what it means to be human. We don't serve a God who sits up in heaven and just demands and commands. We serve a God who humbled Himself to serve. We serve a God for who, for a while, came to creation, His own creation, in the flesh, into a world that we know would reject Him to the point of death. That's what we're reminded for this Advent season. That, that Jesus, the baby born in a manger who some of us have in our house, little scenes. Baby Jesus who we sing about and have stories about was God in flesh. He was, he was able to perfectly fulfill the law and the prophecy for the Messiah. This baby, again, came with a purpose. And part of that purpose this morning was that he created peace. He made peace between sinful people and a merciful and righteous God. Romans 8, 1, and 1 through 4 really sums all this up. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Remember, we could not do this. We could not bridge the gap. We needed God. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This morning, as we, we wrap things up, there's a gospel call that's pretty clear here. That if you're sitting here and you've never received the gospel, you've heard it today. You've heard the reality of sin setting in and the sin that exists in you. That we're fallen in our flesh. And we couldn't, we couldn't fix the relationship between God and us. We needed a propitiation. We needed to be covered. Our sins needed to be covered for us to enter into the presence of an almighty, righteous, and merciful God. And we get that because Jesus, God sent his son, this baby we celebrate in Christmas, God sent his son who perfectly fulfilled the requirements and submitted himself to be the sacrifice, the perfect lamb for all of us. Tasted death for all of us. So now that even in our physical, it it will pass away. That we will live with God for eternity. That's the gospel. If you haven't received that this morning, here's your opportunity. I don't want to have scare tactics, but understand life is not promised. Tomorrow's not promised. I shared a prayer request. I have a, a, a buddy, a, a friend that I've grown up with. One of my closest friends, his wife of 29 years old, been married for three months, had a brain bleed just a few weeks ago. Do you think she woke up thinking that life was going to be drastically changed forever for that day? No, she woke up like you did this morning with a plan for your day, with an idea of what you would accomplish, the tasks that you would have ahead of you. We are not the author of life. We don't know our last breath. And you have an opportunity here to get right with the Lord. And guess what? It's a gift because you just need to believe. Have faith. That's it. God doesn't require that you come to him clean because he makes us clean by his son's blood. Washed us what? White as snow. Which, thank God, that we don't have any snow outside today. But we know. If you're a believer this morning and you've already received the gospel, well, praise God. Praise God for that. But let this remind you of the power of the gospel in the sense that it created peace between you and God. The very God who is so merciful and so righteous. Listen to this. This is fun. The very God that the high priest, and especially the one chosen out of the high priest, had to be careful to be in the presence of because he could very well die in that moment. That same God, that same power, listen, listen, is within you as a believer. The power that would once drop a man dead, God's given, God's given to you to walk with you. There's a whole other message that could go on with that, but I'll stop. <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> Praise God. Let's pray.
Father, we just thank you because you're so good to us. We thank you because we're reminded this Advent season of your son's birth. But he was birthed into a world that was at war with you. And God, we just praise you that you made peace. You made an opportunity. You made a way for there to be peace amongst your people and yourself. God, your mercy, we, 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 we can't comprehend it. But you're so good to us. God, we pray that today this, this, is, a, this is something that honors and glorifies you, that, that represents you well. And as we go and we think about our, our own salvation, our own receiving of the gospel, or, or people in our life that need to receive the gospel, let it be this clear. That you loved us, and you were merciful towards us, but you were righteous, and so there was this divide. But your son, your son he, he connects, he bridges the gap. For somebody feeling lost today that doesn't know the next step of how to receive God, help them understand your spirit to move in their heart that it's to just believe. Believe. God, I pray that we're filled with faith. A faith that even creates peace in this life. And we give you all the praise and glory for what you've done. In your son's name, amen.